Hello, everybody. We are back again with another behind-the-scenes episode of the SAP Learning Insights podcast. Today, we are looking at the Learning System Experience Engineering team, and with us today is their manager, Paul McGuire. Hello, Paul. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on board. All right. So with the start of every podcast, we always do the hero's origin story. Where are you from? How'd you end up at SAP? And how'd you end up where you are today? Yeah, so originally I'm from Belfast in the north of Ireland, and I completed a degree in IT in the Queen's University there. And then I went and did a, a master's in e-commerce in the National University of Ireland in Galway. I suppose during my studies for the master's, I was also working as a programmer in Hewlett-Packard. Uh, and then I moved on to working in the IT department of Air Arran, which is a small Irish airline based in Dublin Airport. And so I worked there for a time and built up experience in uh, managing IT systems, uh, working on the flight operation systems on projects to replace out actually their flight operation system that they had at the time. And so I had a very enjoyable time there and then came the opportunity to join SAP in July 2007. And so I, I jumped ship, moved from Dublin to, to Galway, so the opposite side of Ireland, and um, went from working in a an SME essentially, you know, a very small regional airline to the behemoth that is SAP. So um, that, that was quite a jump. It was difficult at, at the beginning, you know, because when I was working in the, the smaller company, I, I guess often decisions were made much more quickly. But then uh, coming to, to SAP, there were extra layers or, or levels, let's say, of, of discussions and clarifications. And, you know, that comes with a company of 100,000 employees or so, or 80,000 at that time. So, um, And I think since then, it, it's kind of been a, a consistent story of change and innovation for me uh, and, and the business uh, as well. So back when I first joined, I joined the e-learning team and we were running individual e-learnings on the Ansiley Uperform platform. And then we were tasked in 2009 to migrate to the SAP Learning Solution whenever SAP started to build up its, its own learning management system. So uh, in the Drink Your Own Champion ethos, we, we moved over to the SAP Learning Solution 2009, built up uh, quite a successful training certification web shop uh, in, at the same time. And then in 2013, I suppose my career pivoted again um, with the establishment of the Academy Cube. So I had the opportunity to work on a project which was co-signed by then CEO Jim Hagemann-Snava and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And you know the target of that project was to build out a new platform which would be used in, in Europe, uh, which would really bridge the, the skills gap that we had between either those people who needed to reskill in order to move into the um, IT sector, or even connecting new grads, you know, who were looking for employment in the, the IT sector. Um, but there was a perception that maybe some of the graduates weren't coming up, coming out with the skill set that was really needed, you know, to, to hit the ground running. So getting to work on that project was very fulfilling. And it was also my first exposure into our newly acquired company at that time, uh, SAP Success Factors and their learning management system. And so it gave us great insight into the power of that platform. And that naturally led into the next iteration of the SAP learning offerings, which was to migrate all of our 
training and enablement, uh, e-learning at least, of the SAP learning solution and on the SAP success factors. And there was born the SAP Learning Hub back in 2014. So I suppose since I joined in 2007, it's just been a, a constant change and um, challenges that come up to be solved and you know changes in the market changes in our internal environments and yeah it's been a, a fantastic ride and yeah we're we're embarking on our next move now into the SAP learning platform so we have a new organization um, born October 1st uh, 2020 the SAP learning organization uh, and now we have a new vision for 2025 which you know will will change things up again so it's always exciting around here Thanks for that. Yeah, I remember when I first joined on the Learning Hub team, and you were sort of our SAP Success Factors guru, uh, if if memory serves. And um, but since that time, you've moved into a uh, people manager position, and I'm wondering. So, what is the transition like that? So, classically trained with, I guess, a, a tech heavy uh, slant, you're more programming type into the people manager position. What was that transition like for you? The transition was, it was an interesting challenge. So it was a new challenge uh, that, that was afforded to me because you're moving from a position of being a peer to, to a manager. Yeah. And, and that can feel a little bit odd since, you know, you yourself don't feel any different, but your colleagues have a tendency to treat you different, you know, because your position has changed or your job has changed. So although you go to work each day feeling like the same person, somehow the dynamic has changed a little bit. Um, so it took a little bit of time uh, to kind of establishing my own style as well and, and you know, really bringing my authentic self, let's say, to that role. Um, at the point in time when I was appointed a, a people manager for the first time, I think that was back April 2019, we were also in the midst of a significant reorganization as well. And so there were some challenges that came from that reorganization. You know, there were some colleagues who arrived into my team, maybe a little bit frustrated with that process as well. And that reflected in the employee survey results that we had at the time. So SAP takes employee engagement and employee satisfaction extremely seriously. You know, we run our pulse check surveys twice a year and there are concrete action items that come from those. And, you know, my first ever survey came back with a net promoter score for leadership of 33, you know, which was extremely low at the time. And when we dug into that, it was more a reflection on challenges around the change management than it was necessarily a reflection on the leadership that, that I was showing within that, that short period of time. Um, so I think oh, since then, we've been able to bed down, you know, a, a team culture um, that, you know, has stood to us in now our next set of reorganization and, and the next challenge that we have with establishing the SAP learning platform. And we've been able to build up a, a good level of tr mutual trust between myself and the team. And glad to say the latest MPS scores are 94 and above. So that was good. But I, I felt it was important not to mimic the other managers or mimic managers that I had previously worked with. You know, I, I needed to work out what kind of manager I wanted to be. Um, and, and as I said earlier, that ability to bring your own authentic self into your new role um, was, was really important to me that, you know, I think the authenticity that you bring allows you to work closer and more openly with the colleagues and establish that trust. Yep, definitely agreed. Um, when you get the feeling that somebody's playing a role or... Um... It's not quite being genuine. That immediately is going to put a lot of doubt into the mind of people on your team. And exactly, yeah, 
cause inevitably cause conflict that uh, could otherwise be avoided. Especially when when you have been working with people at, at that point in time, I would have been working with some of my colleagues for ten or eleven years, and so if I would shift my personality overnight just to reflect a new role, then it would immediately come across as as false. And you know, um, I think again, SAP takes it very seriously in terms of employee engagement and and enabling people to be the best version of themselves as as you know that they can bring to SAP. And I think if they don't trust that their manager is being authentic, then um, they they also themselves then don't feel that they're comfortable enough to be their authentic selves. And, and you know, then that can uh, affect their performance and their satisfaction. So yeah, it was important to me, to, as I say, especially because the team that I took over was mostly made up of people that were my peers for 10 or 11 years. You know, I, I had to be genuine. Okay. Yeah. And just uh, out of curiosity, I think there's quite a stereotype about people who are classically trained as IT experts who do a lot of coding program, that sort of thing that the the people skill department doesn't necessarily transfer over from those skill sets. Would would you say anything from your uh, background as a programmer helped you in this people management role? Or is this something that you really just figured out with time? So is it a net new set of skills that you had to learn? along the way? I think a little bit of both. Um, I, I'm very lucky. I think we are very lucky at SAP that there's quite a, a good support program for those people who are appointed as people managers for the first time. So, you know, you get quite a lot of training. There's quite a lot of guidance. And, and so they do enable you with some of those skills. Now, of course, it's up to that person then to take those skills and, and utilize them effectively. But uh, there are a lot of resources and there is a lot of support. Probably if best thing about my background as a programmer though is I can understand the mindset of the teams that I need to work with you know so right now I'm leading the experience engineering team engineering focused uh, and so as we set up um, you know a transformation program effectively which is going to include everything from commercial transformation to replatforming infrastructure consolidating infrastructure and at the same time we're also doubling down on our adoption of agile methodologies I think my background as a programmer, at least it, it allows me to empathize and, and connect with those people who are just pure programmers. And, you know, I understand where they're coming from. I understand their pressures. And, you know, I think that helps. Okay. Yeah. So it makes intuitive sense and then helps with, uh, I guess, the communication process, translating those business requirements down to something that's maybe a bit more understandable from the programmer point of view. All right. But, um, Moving on from just your, your role, your individual role, and more into your team, the learning system experience engineering team. Um, my understanding for, from like a 30,000 foot point of view is that um, you basically are where the rubber meets the road. You take these grand ideas from leadership, for example, from PowerPoint slides and, and turn it into something real, turn it into something we can test and, and get our hands on. Um, while all the while keeping the daily operations running, fixing bugs, uh, responding to emergency downtimes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, am I far off the mark with uh, my high-level assessment of what what you guys do all day? <laughs> no, I'd, I'd say that's fairly accurate. You know, we, we turn dreams into reality, really. So can can be a PowerPoint, a mural board, mind maps, um, anything, really. Uh, in the end, it's kind of, it boils down to 
you know, quality user stories that our engineers can understand clearly and then execute on. So we have quite a lot of business refinement that goes on as well. We have good, strong technical product owners. We have good business analysts and release train engineers. And, you know, through the mechanics of the agile process that we've laid out, we're able to bring in, you know, some really amazing ideas and, and visions um, from our colleagues. And, and they've really been fantastic over the last six to 12 months in rethinking how we deliver our training and enablement. You know, we, as I said earlier, we are on the start of a journey towards 2025 and people can see the, the latest status of that journey on learning.sep.com and uh, where we have our beta site uh, pushed out there. We'll go GA on that soon. Uh, and, you know, people will be able to see that it, it'll be tangible, the difference that we have in terms of our design and our user experience focus. Um, bring in with that also then commercial transformation and and the impact that that has on the systems and um, but as I say we have a, a very effective process where we're able to then refine those visions and really strip them down into user stories and then we can run them through the agile backlog in, in three week sprints at the same time we retain about 20 percent of team capacity for infrastructure improvements or what we would call infrastructure spikes and and those are the things that won't make it onto a glamorous PowerPoint, you know, of a, a, or a, a press release of you know, something exciting that we did. But those are things that we have to do in the background. And um, so we retain about 20% of capacity for those improvements, bugs, or operational issues that might happen along the way as we build out that new platform. But, you know, it, it's great. It's an exciting time for the team. We're full steam ahead on that innovation, the beautiful UI that we're building out. Um, but at the same time, then my team have to ensure that there's compliance, security, and robustness in the platform. So it's it's just that ever-present dance between how can we push out as much beautiful UI and, and as many innovations, but at the same time retain that security and robustness in the platform. Indeed. Yeah. We, we never want to be in a position where we're uh, throwing something over the fence and then not worrying about the maintenance of it and making sure it's still running six months down the line after the, the big glamorous rollout. Yeah. So I, I think you already, you touched a lot on this already, but just day-to-day operations, could you go a bit more into detail of how Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, how, how do those days run for you? You mentioned about 20% of that is basically keeping the lights on. Uh, what else is happening uh, on, uh, lately? Sure. So in, in the team that I'm managing, we have um, around about 40 people um, that are developing and running the SAP Learning Hub platform and around 15 that are building out our new SAP Learning platform. And that ratio is going to shift over time. You know, as we um, finish out our experience improvements that have been happening on the SAP Learning Platform. So again, anybody who's familiar with that on learninghub.sap.com will know that over the last nine months, we also pushed out major experiential improvements onto that platform as well. So once we finish those out um, towards the, the end of this quarter, we'll focus then on the new platform. And yeah, so we'll be balancing maintenance of that existing world, you know, because the, the learning hub does not go away. Uh, we'll still bring some smaller innovations there, but we'll focus most of our um, energy then into the new world. That That's the big challenge that we have right now. Um, but I'm glad to say, you know, it's one that the team meets head on. You know, we have a really, truly global team. So you know, our team begins um, over in the east with, you know, colleagues in the Philippines and China moving to India and Belarus, Germany, Ireland, the USA, Canada. So, I mean, we're 
essentially able to operate 24 by 5 to keep pushing forward and keep these innovations running. The product management prioritization and focus is key from our product management colleagues. Otherwise, we would risk spreading ourselves too thin and, and risk quality and timeline. Um, but generally, with all of the colleagues that we have and the, the spread around the globe, we're able to keep on pushing. And and those weeks, you know, generally, you know, it's, it follows that agile methodology. You know, so we'll have sprint review meetings. You know, we'll have business refinements meetings where we're talking to people like yourself and your colleagues on what are the requirements coming in. Are these user stories mature enough? Are they ready to go forward? Then we go into the sprint review. We have our daily stand-ups and our scrum calls with the development team as they work through those. Then we have our sprint reviews, you know, when things are done and we're ready to open up testing uh, to our business request or colleagues. Uh, then we have our go, no-go. And basically that's the three-week cycle that we have. And, and the process starts again and again. So it, that, that was one of the big shifts uh, I have to say that we had. And it, we previously would have had agile waterfall at best in, in the past, where we had these larger projects with a you know a deadline that was three or six months ahead, and you know everything was really gearing towards that. Now we have these three week sprints, and you know we, we're able to deliver more regularly and keep pushing that value out to the end users. You know they don't have to wait for a, a massive release. So yeah, the, the mechanics that we've set up and the agile process that we've set up added with the talent that we have in the, the team spread around the globe, you know, help us to, to balance those things. Right on. Sounds good. And you mentioned agile already. So uh, I guess that the basic principle of that would be um, just being able to adapt to business changes as they come, as, as opposed to just heading in one direction for, for six months while conditions outside of that project might change and then the goalposts have moved by the time you, you get to the finish line of that particular project. And in that sense, did you ever, since you are more flexible now with Agile, um, do you ever find yourself getting pulled between conflicting visions or different ideas coming from different parts of the business, trying to steer you in maybe opposing directions? Um, and if so, how do you deal with that sort of situation? Um, are, are you the guy that just sort of slams their fist down the table and say, okay, we need to stop it and realign here? Or um, is this solved in a different way? I mean, thankfully, those situations are, are few and far between, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, the, the great thing about our new SAP Learning Organization, as I say, it just celebrates its one-year anniversary, is we're crystal clear on the target for 2025. Mm -hmm. You know, so the... The management team have spent a lot of time in saying, you know, everybody's just laser focused on what are we achieving for 2025? And we're putting the user at the center, you know, so we're not so worried about, you know, the, the business metrics, let's say, but it's the user in the focus. We, we want to help our users adopt our SAP solutions. And so when everybody has that common understanding of where we're going in 2025, that helps a lot. You know, we everybody knows we're focused, say, on lowering the barrier to access uh, SAP learning so that every individual can benefit from the most relevant, up-to-date uh, content across our portfolio. Now, I think in any company, the execution on how to get there in 2025, sometimes that can lead to differences of opinion. And I think it's something that our organization values, you know, our diverse opinions and approaches. 
it's important for me, for example, that the engineering team are not seen as like a, a black box of programming magic that you pass a user story into and you get magic out the other side, you know, of a, an application that's finished. Uh, I'm glad to say the engineering team, you know, our opinions are valued as well. We're empowered to challenge and highlight conflicting visions in a positive way. So it's, it's about asking the right questions to bring us all to the right conclusion at that point in time. Um, and, you know, our head of SAP Learning, Max Wessel, has a saying, you know, that we should facilitate a, an environment that's safe yet uncomfortable. And I'll say that means we, we can be honest with each other to ask the right tough questions to make sure everybody remains focused on the goal and, and keep the learner in the center. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, I also get that sense that um, the team and the project as a whole is, is moving in a cohesive direction. Uh, I guess that the spirit of that question probably comes in, uh, from uh, far smaller projects that I had been a part of in the past, where uh, oftentimes the, the folks who are maybe designers or actually making the thing happen would find themselves um, in the middle of sort of conflicting visions. But um, I think with, with as well with those larger waterfall projects, there's a lot more risk for that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, because there's a you know maybe project members have this sense of we have another six months, another nine months. Therefore, it's okay to keep adding scope, adding new things, changing you know the, the approach and so on. And mm-hmm. um, when you have three week sprint cycles, then it's you know it has to be quite focused. You know, and and what is bringing the most business benefit? You know, or what is bringing the most benefit to the end user? And those things are prioritized. Maybe what are technical foundation topics that have to be put in in order to realize something two or three sprints down the line. So I think there's a tendency for that to happen less when you have the true agile setup versus what we used to have where you know we would have had those larger projects and there is more time and opportunity for people then to challenge you know and you could be six months into a project and it's getting challenged again and, and there's no problem with challenging as long as it's based on you know customer feedback or, or some sort of metrics or, or data that you're you're pulling off so, sometimes that can be quite important but the good news is with, with the three-week cycles then as we get more feedback from our customers and our end users we will be pivoting and changing depending on what they want so we're not going in here with an absolute set vision of this is exactly what it's going to be, you know, in one or two years time. Yep. We are constantly reacting to what the, uh, what the ecosystem need. Um, probably the thing that brought that home to us most then was that the impact from the, the pandemic, you know, literally overnight our ILT business stopped. You know, and I remember I, I was in a management offsite at the time, and our poor colleagues um, from product learning were constantly on the phone as it was just like a, a sweep from the east to west of one training center after another, you know, closing. And suddenly we were having to react. And we, you know, within days, we were able to get an ILT model online, you know, through usage of things like Zoom uh, to bring in virtual live class and so that people could continue to, to learn. I mean, we had projects that were targeting that old methodology at, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to pivot, you know, so you, you can't really afford to have a, a six to nine month project because, you know, you have to leave yourself a certain amount of dynamism, you know, to pivot and change depending on what external factors bring. So that was probably the perfect example of where we had to stop certain things and pivot. And, you know, as I say, now that we're truly agile, I think we we won't have that issue. Um, One thing that we are implementing is 
data analytics as a, an absolute core foundation. So again, uh, a lot of the things that we release, you know, we'll be monitoring and see, was that a success? You know, did it have the intended outcome that we wanted? If it didn't, why not? And, and what do we need to change about that? Um, so we will be using a lot of the experiential data as well to uh, shape our, our future platform and experience. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's extremely important that any challenges to what we're doing is really coming from the learners themselves, the people who are uh, using the platform to um, to get enabled. And um, on that keyword challenge, what is your biggest challenge on a day-to-day basis? I think that the biggest challenge right now is maintaining that, that short-term focus, let's say. Um, because we're starting out on such like a, a revolutionary journey to create our best-in-class training enablement platform for all customers, partners, and our internal employees. It's a multi-year project with a vast web of complexity. And as we unpick 15 years of technical debt and, you know, and organizational silos that have now come together as SAP Learning, as we unpick those, as, as we consolidate infrastructure, there's so many amazing new ideas, opportunities, partnership options, integration options, and so on. And it's really keeping that focus. So as I say, like, we have our 2025 vision and we may have our targets, but it's trying to keep that quarterly focus even. I, I think that's the, the biggest challenge. Max Wessel, the, the head of SAP Learning, he, he shared an interview recently with everybody in the organization. And it was an interview with a guy called Johnny Ive, um, who previously worked with Apple. And it was around what did Steve Jobs teach him and about the power of focusing. And one quote he had was, focus means saying no to something that with every bone in your body you think is a phenomenal idea and you wake up thinking about it, but you say no to it because you're focusing on something else. And that's our key challenge right now because we have so many great ideas and so many opportunities. It's trying to maintain that laser focus. And you know, as you said, in, in certain meetings that there are times when you have to say, we park this, you know, we, we have a parking lot, uh, let's say for in our uh, business backlog, we say we park that, but today we are focusing on, you know, what's being delivered now. And that's certainly the biggest challenge. Okay. And on the flip side of that, what do you enjoy the most? Um, this might sound cliche, uh, <laughs> I think, working with the talented and diverse group of people that, that I work with. Sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true. You know, as I said earlier, we're really a global team, you know, full of different cultures, viewpoints, and norms. I love learning more about my colleagues and, and what drives them so I can help them be the best version of themselves that they can be. I love that feeling of accomplishment that we get as a team when something awesome is delivered to our customers and the excitement among the team as we transform SAP Learning. I think it's, it's really rewarding to see talented, intelligent colleagues achieving so much and collaborating so well, despite being dispersed around the world. So I really enjoyed, for example, some of those positives, you know, in the, in the last 18 months in the pandemic, when, first of all, when COVID landed, let's say, in uh, China, and really the global SAP community rallied around the colleagues there and supported them so well. And then as it moved across the, the world, you know, in the particular challenges that we had in India, the team rallying around the, the colleagues in India and really just everybody still then putting shoulder to the wheel, you know, transforming our organization. And, you know, it's just it it's really um, 
it's a lovely sense of accomplishment when you see what we can all achieve um despite juggling all the challenges we have and you know i've always played team sports i've always been a team person i i prefer team accomplishments and i feel a greater sense of accomplishment when it's achieved as a team than i do as an individual and so certainly that that's what i enjoy the most cool um yeah i've wondered at least for leadership when when you do have people from all over the world it's certainly an, an advantage to have I guess the, the different perspectives of the different cultures and um, ways of getting things done. But just on a practical side, I'm wondering um, what what are your daily hours like? So you you have people on some vastly different time zones than you are. Um, how often do you get to, do you ever get to speak with folks on the other side of the planet? Are you staying up late at night to uh, do your one on one meetings with them? It depends. Um, Generally, my day starts around about 6.30 a.m. And, you know, I, I might align with some of the colleagues in the Philippines and in China. Uh, and then I do the school run, bring in my two daughters to school. Uh, then I'm back in the office, either the home office or the actual office now by 9 a.m. Uh, working through, working with the colleagues in India and EMEA, East Coast US. And then I'm normally at home then. 5.30 for dinner. My girls are very involved in multiple sports. So, you know, I have a personal family time block, let's say until 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then after 8 p.m., uh, I may log on again just to tie up any loose ends or align with some of the colleagues then on the Pacific time zone just to make sure that everything is squared away. So, but that's not every day, but it, it is a, a typical day. It sounds like a long day. It can be, but it's a rewarding day. And as I say, those blocks that I have in the morning, you know, with the girls and, and in the evening, you know, as I said, they're in a multitude of sports. And in some of those, I'm volunteering and coaching in those. So I also find that very rewarding. Actually, it's great to, to work with um, kids because you get a lot of um, energy from them. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they don't have that cynicism, maybe that many of us adults do. And that can bring you a great energy, you know, even in, in the middle of your day uh, or in the middle of a long week, um, just going to a training session with, uh, you know, seven, eight-year-old kids uh, and the energy they bring you. And I find that helps. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. And uh, on that note of time, we've taken quite a bit of yours. Do you want to close with any final words of wisdom for our learners? I think the only thing that I would say to, to learners are make time for yourself. You know, so we know that the digital transformation of so many industries went in hyperdrive as a result of the impact of the pandemic. And we all know that the lines between work and life have been significantly blurred since it took hold. And um, so I think it's really important that people give themselves time and space to learn and evolve their skills. Take time and space for your own wellness and, and mental well-being. You know, at SAP, we put a great emphasis on that. We have mental health ambassadors and, and so on. So I would just recommend give yourself time and space, little and often. You know, so it's it's not always that you have to try and cram all of your learning in in, in one long session. You know, the industry is trending towards micro learnings or bursts of learning. So little and often keep developing yourself and give yourself that space and time. Many of the lines of business in SAP have gone along the road of uh, focus Fridays, as an example, to have 
fewer meetings on a Friday uh, so that people can have that personal space for personal development and growth. And yeah, I think that'll be the, the main thing. Make time for yourself. All right. With those words of wisdom, we will close. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is the SAP Learning Insights Podcast. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.